0: At certain times in our lives, we find ourselves at an intersection. And in these defining moments, we have to decide which path we're going to take. The path God has laid out before us or some other way. In 2020, when the world hit pause, first church chose to hit play. We believe this is our moment, not to just go along with the flow, but to navigate people down the path God wants them to take. During our 115 year journey as a church, We faced a lot of intersections, and we're here today because those who came before us did not choose the easy path or the path of least resistance. For over a century, First Church has impacted the 918 and beyond because we've let God lead us down the path of faith. Today, we find ourselves at another intersection, a pivotal moment in our history. Now isn't the time for us to turn around. Now isn't the time for us to wander aimlessly now is the time for us to courageously take the path God has placed before us. The path Jesus wants us to take may not always be easy, but with Him as our guide, we are unstoppable. Well, hey, First Church, so glad you guys are here. It's great seeing this full house. We have a ton of people here in person, but I know we also have hundreds of people worshiping with us online right now. So if you are here in person, would you put your hands together, get loud, and welcome in our online family today. I know that we have Brad and Melanie worshiping with us in the Tennessee Mountains right now. So, welcome to you guys as well as everybody else who's part of our online community. And you are here for week four of our Unstoppable series. And you know, I've been saying every single week in this series that this isn't just a bunch of sermons about the church being unstoppable. This is a movement, this is a vision that we believe will shape our church, not just over this six week period, but for the next two years and for decades to come after that. if you're new here, or if you're really not sure still what Unstoppable is all about, you can go to our new Unstoppable website, firstchurchok.com forward slash unstoppable. All the information about this initiative is there. And you can also watch our 10-minute vision video, which will get you caught up on everything that's going on. And by the way, if you've been looking for an Unstoppable T-shirt because we ran out, we have them here today. So make sure you stop by our Unstoppable Hub, our Unstoppable Zone, and try to pick one up. Get your size before they run out again. And I also want to invite you guys to attend something very, very special that's going to take place this Friday night, this Friday evening, November the 5th, is our Advanced Commitment Night. and You guys know by now we have two goals for this unstoppable initiative. The first is we want 100% of our church engaged in the mission that Jesus has given us. And we believe that when 100% of our church is engaged, then our second goal, which is our mission advancement, It's going to happen. We're not as worried about the secondary goal as we are the primary goal. But once we get our church engaged, then the secondary goal is going to happen. Our secondary goal has three main parts. One, we want to keep doing the ministry we're doing. Two, we want to expand our global and our local mission reach. And three, we want to invest in the next generation by building A new First Kids facility, a new First Kids building, because our First Kids ministry is exploding right now, and we are out of space. So we're excited about all that, but this Friday night will be your first opportunity to show your excitement for this commitment and so we want to invite everybody to come it's going to be a night to remember in fact if you have plans already for friday night and you can change them change them because it's going to be one of those evenings that when you hear about it later people are going to say you should have been there you should not have missed it our creative team they're pulling out all the stops we're going to have an awesome worship service a challenging time as we look at our vision and we're also going to have a huge after party afterwards we're going to have something for the kids as well in fact we're going to have a kids art show on display so parents If you want to see some of the unstoppable art that our kids have been making up in First Kids and down in First Years, you can come see that that night. We've got a local artist that we're bringing in that's going to do something really, really spectacular. We're going to have desserts. It is going to be an incredible evening. You you are not going to want to miss it. And so if you want more information about this Advanced Commitment Night, you can get out your phone right now and you can scan this QR code. It will give you the information that you need. And Or you can just advance, or you can text ADVANCE to 918-300-3977, and that will send you to a link that will give you all the information you need for our Advanced Commitment Night. So I can't wait. It is going to be a historic night in the life of our church. But I'm excited about today as well, because we're continuing on in our Unstoppable series, and we're studying the book of Acts, which is a history of the early church, and we're using it as a guide for us, because as we study Acts, what we discover is even though the church Faced a lot of hardship and persecution and trials in its earliest days. The mission of God was still. Unstoppable. So if you have your Unstoppable guidebooks, we're gonna be on page 39 as we pick up in week four of this series. Now you guys probably know today is October 31st, so tonight is trick-or-treat for most of our kiddos. My kids are excited. They're wearing their costumes this morning to church. I know a lot of our kids are. You've probably seen some of them in their outfits. But one thing that I love doing this time of year is going to this one website that's put up by a haunted house up in Canada. And what they like to do, this is a real well-known One of the most famous haunted houses in all of North America. They like to post pictures of their guests who come through this attraction at the scariest point of the haunted house. And they put this online for people to see, and I love looking at these pictures, like this one right here. Now, if these kids are thinking that dad is going to protect them, he's not, okay? Just want to let them know you're going to be disappointed. But how about this dad right here? I'm not sure what he's doing, like strangling his kid, you know? I don't know what he's trying to accomplish there. How about these tough guys right here? You know that these teenage guys walked into this acting all tough, but they lost it in this moment right here. How about this next picture here? Now, Now, if this girl thinks that her guy is going to protect her, she needs to think again, because he is panicked. I'm not sure if he's trying to, like, shoot the bad guys. I don't know what he's doing there, but again, he's freaking out. Or how about this, these guys right here? I mean, look at their eyes. They look like cartoon characters, you know? And apparently, when this dude gets scared, he plays the air guitar, so I don't know. Or this guy decided to go through it by himself. Who would go through a haunted house by yourself? But this guy decides to do it. Now, this next picture is one of my favorites. This guy's like, I'm getting out of there, you know? Every man for himself, I don't care who's with me, I'm jetting, I'm getting out of here. And I really like this one too, this last one. Because in this one, this girl is panicked and he's like, is that all you got? You know, he doesn't even care at all. He's like, that's it? Really? I love looking at these pictures. And you know, when it comes to being scared, there are times that we can look back and moments when we've been scared and we can laugh at it. But then there are other times when we get scared in life when it's a lot more serious, when fear has crippled us, when fear has been kind of a paralyzing thing. And in those moments, fear really isn't a laughing matter. And that's where we find the early church as we continue on in our study of Acts. We talked last week about how the church was starting to receive persecution. And this persecution was ramping up, and Christians were being arrested and thrown in prison. They were invading their homes. Christians were losing their jobs. Some Christians were even threatened with death. It's a rough time to be part of the church. And a key figure who is driving this persecution is this man named Saul from Tarsus. And I want you to read with me what the Bible says about Saul, starting in Acts chapter 8. It says, now on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. Saul was trying to destroy the church. Entering one house after another, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So Saul is out to get the church, he is against Jesus. He is against Jesus' people, and he is making it his personal mission to stop the work and the growth of the church. And you know what's interesting is, after he attacks Christians in Jerusalem, he decides that's not enough, because these Christians were forced out of Jerusalem, and they go living in surrounding cities, and Saul decides, I'm going to go after them as well. Look at what happens next. Saul kept on threatening to kill the Lord's followers. He even went to the high priest and asked for letters to the Jewish leaders in Damascus, a surrounding city of Jerusalem. He did this because he wanted to arrest and take to Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem, any man or woman who had accepted the Lord's way. Saul is on the war path here, and he's trying to get every Christian that he possibly can get. And you know how? these early Christians felt about Saul? Well, The Bible says this, they were all afraid of him. And we can understand why. I mean, in our day and age, if there was this government official who was appointed to go out and attack Christians and he was allowed to invade our homes and arrest our family members, arrest us, take us back to prison, maybe even put us to death, we would probably be a little bit scared too. It's only natural. But what I love about these early Christians is that even though they wanted to keep their distance from Saul for sure, they did not let fear paralyze them. They did not let fear control their lives. They lived by faith, not by fear. Do you remember early on when they first started being persecuted what the Christians did? They met together and they prayed and listened to their prayer. Says, now Lord, consider their threats, the threats that are against us, and enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. Now that word boldness can also be translated courage. I want you to notice what they did not pray for. They did not pray for their enemies to be wiped out. They didn't pray for their enemies to be struck down. They didn't pray for the government systems to be overturned. They didn't even pray for the persecution to stop. You know what they prayed for? Boldness. Boldness to do what? To keep on speaking God's word. That word speak means to proclaim, to keep telling people about Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And what's interesting to me is, Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's having the faith to trust God and move forward in the midst of fear. You know, sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, you know, Chad, just our culture is going in the wrong direction and we need to do something about it. Like, yeah, I agree. Our culture is going in the wrong direction. What do you want to do? And they start to tell me all this stuff that they think that the church or our country should do. And then I will look at them and I will say, okay, what about you? Who have you invested in so that you can introduce somebody to Jesus Christ? Oh, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, this and that, and we're going to go ahead and have these great plans. No, who are you investing in? Because, see, this is what the early church did. The early church knew that if we're going to change the world, we're not going to do it by legislating morality. The way that we're going to change the world is by changing one heart at a time. That's how Jesus works. Jesus didn't come to be an earthly king. He came to be a spiritual king that wouldn't rule by the sword, but rule Men's hearts, and the early church understood that if we're gonna change the world, we're gonna do it one life at a time, one soul at a time, one heart at a time. And so I'm, I agree with you, we need to do something to make a difference in this culture. My question is to you and to me, who are we investing in? Who are we praying for courage so that we can, so we can go out and we can introduce them to Jesus? Because what we need to understand is, the mission that Jesus has given us is not easy. It's not. I don't want you to misunderstand what the theme of this whole series and this season is. It's unstoppable, but unstoppable does not mean that our mission is going to be easy. Unstoppable is not equal to easy. Jesus never said the work that he's entrusted us with is going to be simple or easy or it's going to go smooth. In fact, Jesus never promised we would be the majority or the home team. He never said that. In fact, right, look at this key scripture that we've been using as a theme for this entire series. When Jesus makes this great promise, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But I don't really want to focus on that word prevail there. That's a word that means to win against your opposition. What is Jesus letting us know from the very beginning? We're going to face opposition. This isn't going to be easy. If you think it should be easy being a Christian, you're following the wrong Lord. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. We're going to face darkness. We're going to face evil. But the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And no matter matter how hard the darkness pushes against us, it won't be able to extinguish our light. You know how I know that? Well, Jesus said that. Listen to his words in the Gospel of John. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. He didn't say it's going to be easy, but the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And Saul of Tarsus, who's fighting against the church, will soon learn that. See, Saul, he asked for permission to go to the surrounding cities like Damascus in order to arrest these early followers of Jesus. And on his way to Damascus, as he's traveling this road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him in a vision. And look at what happens here. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now I want you to notice something. Pay attention to the words here. Jesus does not say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my church? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Jesus doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my institution? He doesn't say that. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why? Because Jesus is letting us know, you insult the church, you insult me. You attack the church... You attack me, you know why? Because the Bible refers to the church as the bride of Jesus. Let me tell you something about my bride, Allison. I love my bride to death, I would die for my bride, and you better not talk about my bride, okay? When Allison and I got married 13 years ago, I think that's right, how many years ago that we got married? God made us one. And you attack her, that's an attack on me. And I'm going to defend my bride no matter what. Don't think that you can talk about my bride and criticize my bride and insult my bride and then we're going to be buds, okay? That's not how it works out. Now, nobody's doing that right now, but still, you have your warning, okay? (laughs) Because she and I are one. Jesus and his church are one. And Jesus says, you attack my church, you insult my church, you criticize my church. I take that personal. You attack me. And somebody today needs to hear that. Because here's the thing. We think that we can badmouth and insult and hurt and hinder the church, and nothing's going to happen to us because it's just the church. No, that's Jesus' bride. And I know what you're probably thinking. But, Chad, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, and the church is imperfect, and the church is broken, and the church is messed up, and the church is embarrassing at times, and the church is flawed. Yeah, it is. But you know, Jesus identifies with broken, messed up, flawed, embarrassing people like you and like me. That's who he came for, because that's the only type of people that exist. And he didn't just come for us. He died for us. And so, what Jesus here is saying is, Saul, you're not just persecuting some institution, you're persecuting me. And so, we see in the book of Acts that this encounter with Jesus that Saul has is actually repeated three times. And something is repeated three times in the Scripture. It's important. And the third time that it is repeated, this is what we see in Acts chapter 26. It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then we get this extra little saying from Jesus, detail here, of what Jesus said to Saul. You are hurting yourself by kicking against the goads. Now, what's a goad? A goad was a long stick with a point on the end of it that you used to prod animals along, to poke animals, to prod them along, to get stubborn animals to move. And what Jesus here is saying is, Saul, I'm trying to prod you. I'm trying to motivate you. I'm trying to get you to go in the right direction. But you're resisting. You're kicking against me. You're fighting against me. And you're not listening even though you know that this is what you need to do. See, Saul had heart in his heart. And he was struggling. Because I think Saul knew all the evidence about Jesus. He had heard the stories. He knew the eyewitness accounts. He knew what people were saying about Jesus. And he also knew the scriptures really well. And he knew about the teachings of Jesus. But there was just one little hiccup. Saul couldn't get past a crucified Messiah. Because in his mind, God's Messiah wouldn't come to go to a cross. He would come to rule on a throne. He would come to upset the Roman Empire, and he would rule as this political figure over the entire world. And for the Messiah to come and be crucified, Saul just couldn't accept that because he had made up his mind, this is who the Messiah should be. Now, the Bible tells us that there are two types of hearts. The Bible says, actually in the book of Ezekiel, it says this, it says, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. The Bible tells us there are two types of hearts. Did you catch that? There's a heart that is soft and tender like this Play-Doh. It's palatable, pliable, excuse me, and able to be shaped, molded, and turned into whatever God wants it to be. But then there's also a heart of stone that's calloused and cold and unmoving that resists anything that comes to it. I love playing with Plato with my kids because they can take an ugly blob and turn it into a creation that only a dad can be proud of. You know what I'm saying? And that's what God wants to do with our lives. He wants to take our lives and mold us and shape us and make us into what he knows we can be, his vision for our lives. But he can't do that as long as we have a heart of stone. If anybody had a heart of stone, it was definitely Saul. Saul was kicking against the goads, and he did not want to listen to Jesus. He didn't want to follow God's leading because he's, he refused to surrender his heart. And let me ask you, What are you refusing to surrender to God right now? Now, here's the thing. We don't like this word surrender, do we? Because this word surrender, we equate with losing. If you surrender, then you lose. And none of us want to lose. But here's the thing. Jesus' kingdom, his way of life, it's upside down. And Jesus teaches that surrender is the path to freedom that only when you surrender your life to him can you really live, can you experience freedom. So what is it that you're refusing to surrender right now? Your pride? Your popularity? Your social status? Your dating relationship? Your possessions? Your time? Your schedule? Your home life? Your money? What is it that you are refusing to surrender right now? Because you can't get free of Satan's hold on your life until you surrender your life fully and completely to Jesus. You can't get free of Satan's hold on your life until you surrender to Jesus' greater plan for your life. Now, some of you guys may have heard the name Thomas Nelson, Jr. He was a signer of our Declaration of Independence. He was a good friend of General George Washington, and he helped support the 13 colonies during the Revolutionary War. But during the Battle of Yorktown, uh, General Cornwallis of the of the, of the British side, he actually took over Nelson's estate, his home. And this was kind of strategic because Cornwallis knew that, one, this was a perfect place for his headquarters, but he also knew that... Washington wouldn't fire upon his good friend's house. And when Nelson heard about Cornwallis's scheme, he sent a message, according to legend, he sent a message to Washington saying, Point your cannons at my house. Why? Because Nelson knew that freedom was worth more than the cost that he had to give up. And what about you today? Is the freedom that Jesus is offering you eternal freedom, is that worth more to you than your social status, the home you live in, the stuff you have, all this temporary, uh, all these temporary desires that the world throws before us, your finances, your money, what's most important to you? Because Saul here had to realize what was most important in life, and he had to realize that Jesus wasn't finished with him just yet. And so, what ends up happening is Jesus, as he is, after he speaks to Saul, it says, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing, so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I think this is interesting. Saul had to go blind in order to see what Jesus wanted him to see. And sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we can see exactly what Jesus wants us to see. But while Saul is blind, he's now in Damascus and he's contemplating everything that's going on. Jesus is still at work. And he appears to this guy named Ananias, who is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, a member of the church living in Damascus. And this is what happens. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Now, Paul's right there. How cool is that? We have no record that Jesus ever appeared to Ananias before this, but Ananias had such a close relationship with Jesus that when Jesus appears to him, his first response is, yes, Lord, whatever you want, Lord. I'm ready to go. What a cool relationship that Ananias had with Jesus. Let's read on. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Well, Ananias said, yes, Lord, to an extent. (laughs) He said, yes, Lord, until he found out exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. Just imagine how this played out. Lord appears to Ananias and says, hey, Ananias, yes, Lord. I got a job for you to do. Yes, Lord. I want you to go talk to somebody. Yes, Lord. I want you to go to Straight Tree. Yes, Lord. I know where that's at. I want you to go to the home of Judas. Yes, Lord. I know Judas. Okay, I want you to go in there. There's going to be a man waiting for you from Tarsus. I want you to tell him about me. Yes, Lord. I can do that. And this man from Tarsus, his name is Saul. Wait a second, Lord. Hang on just a second. Do you... Do you realize who that is? And Ananias fills the need to tell Jesus about Saul's past. <laughs> and Jesus like, yeah, I know about his past, but let me tell you about his future potential. Look at what happens. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. In other words, I got big plans for him. And let me just ask you, how often... Does God want to do big things in our lives? Is he ready to do big things in our lives? But he's waiting on us to say, yes, Lord. Because what we like to do is we like to put off God's plans for our lives. We'll say, yes, Lord, but we put some conditions on it. Yes, Lord, but can I wait till after my kid's soccer season is finished? Yes, Lord, but can I wait till after the wedding's over? Yes, Lord, but can I wait till after I get that promotion? Yes, Lord, but can I wait till my house is paid off? Yes, Lord, can I wait till I retire? Yes, Lord, but can I wait until I graduate? Yes, Lord, but can I wait until that assignment's completed, that project is finished? Yes, Lord, but can I do it some other day? And God's like, I'm ready to move and work now. I'm just waiting on you to say yes, Lord, today. And that's what I love about this unstoppable season we're in right now, because During this unsolvable season, we are challenging our church in a really big way, and the response that we've received from you guys has been phenomenal. You guys are excited, and that's great, because there would be a lot of churches where that wouldn't be the case, but I believe we are a yes, Lord kind of church, and this is true about our members who've been here forever, and about our church family members who've just started becoming part of our church, and I want you to hear from some of our church family members today who actually just started attending our church in the past year or so. Take a look at this video.
1: God is using First Church in our lives in a lot of ways. Uh, In the last year since we've been here, we've become um, very connected, we've we've made so many great new friends, um, other couples with with kids around our age. Uh, I've started serving uh, up on stage, Uh, Kristen has started serving with the kids in the kids ministry.
2: Yeah, First Church has really helped us grow spiritually over those last years since we've joined by so much community and so much accountability. There's women in our group who will check in with me throughout the week just to see how we're doing, to support us, to just really spur us on. We're doing it with other people. We're doing it alongside others. We're able to support them as much as they're able to support us.
1: We choose to give to First Church because it's where God has planted us. It's where God called us right now and we can see him working Uh, from day one when we walked in here. We've seen God's hand and God's heart and we are excited to be a part of it.
2: I consider First Church a good investment for our time and our resources because we are advancing the gospel. We are loving people in the community. We are loving the kids and the families that come through these doors. And really there's no more important thing than loving people and sharing that, that love comes from Jesus. And so to me, there's no way to spend the money better. Um, We could go on the vacations, we could redecorate the house, we could do these things, but those are such short term. And when you're sharing Jesus' love, it just continues to go. Um, I just think there's no better investment.
1: As we found out about the Unstoppable Initiative, it just really challenged us to, to seek God, to seek His advice, to seek His counsel. How can we grow in our giving and in prioritizing um, these next couple years. God has revealed to us these decisions and plans that we had and that we had a timeline on. um, God's really told us let's put a pause on some of that and um, God's house and God's uh, children um, are where we need to focus at.
2: I know that Bringing Cora and Jude to First Church week after week, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, is growing the love for Jesus in their heart. Cora came home just this Wednesday of, Mom, did you know there was an Old Testament and a New Testament? There's two parts of the Bible, and both are true. She came home with such excitement for the Word of God, and I know that Isaac and I can't do that on our own. I know that we need a church community, and I know that we're not the only family in Owasa that needs that too. And so, this Unstoppable initiative allows us to provide this amazing resource, this amazing pathway for our kids to know Jesus, to know His Word, to know that He loves our kids, He loves, um, he loves His children, because ultimately they're His children.
1: You can see God's hand on this church just every week. New families coming in, kids running around Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights. Uh, just to be a part of that, to help reach the 918, a this community, um, getting to love families, love like Jesus. The mission that we have, like we see it playing out. We felt it when we walked in the doors, and this next opportunity with this Unstoppable Initiative is just going to allow us to reach so many more families, so many more kids, and teach the love of God to this community.
2: As we think about our Unstoppable commitment, I just have this sense of excitement of what's going to happen. The amount that we have decided that God has laid on our hearts—it's—it's—it's um, going to be a challenge. But we've, God has laid things like that on our hearts before, and we were like, "Are you sure, God? Like, are you sure that's what you put on our hearts?" And we worked and worked and worked, and sacrificed and did all kinds of things and it did all those things have come into fruition and the the faith that comes from that and the um, growth and the maturity are just amazing and so i'm excited that he has aligned our hearts um, with this church uh, to support unstoppable and i just can't wait to see the stories that unfold as we work together
0: I love what they said, how they could go on an extra vacation or they could do something else, but they want to invest in in the eternal lives of people, the next generation. You guys, when you picked up your guidebook, it's one of these commitment cards in it. And again, we're not asking you to do anything with this commitment card yet, that's coming. We're five days away from Advance Commitment Night, two weeks away from Commitment Sunday. But I just want to remind you guys to be looking over this and praying about it. Because our goal is a big one—it's 11.3 million dollars for the next two years, 5.6 million a year for our total budget. That's our current ministry plus our expanded mission outreach, and also our our next uh, kids—sorry, uh, our first kids building, our next generation building. But here's the thing. On the back of this commitment card, there's a little chart, a two-year gift chart. And if you've looked at this, some of you may be wondering what this is all about. This is just a sample of the types of gifts that we would need in order to reach our 11.3 million goal over two years. Now, we know it's not going to play out just like this. This is just a sample. This is a neat little example that you can look at and maybe see where you fall. But here's what I want for you to know. I want you to look at the last line of that paragraph above it if you have this card in front of you. It says, we believe every gift is valued and important to to reach the goal one person can't do this well maybe one person can if you can come talk to me but um we know this is going to be a family effort okay and every gift is needed and every gift does matter it matters to god because he knows whatever commitment you make he knows whether or not that's a surrender of your finances And it also matters to the ministry of this church because it's a tangible way for us to advance the mission that Jesus has given us. The Bible teaches, and if you're new to church, you may not have heard this before, but the Bible teaches that a tithe of everything from the land where the grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. That word tithe just means the first 10% of your income. And we teach here the biblical principles. This makes some people feel uncomfortable, but it's in the Bible, and I would get in trouble with God if I don't teach it. But basically, we teach that if you make $10, the Bible teaches the first $10 that you make, and sequence matters because it shows what's truly your priority. The first 10%, the first dollar goes to God. And then we also teach it's important for you to take the next dollar, the next 10%, and to put it into your own personal savings. And then try to live off the 80%, the rest of it that's what we teach here this is a biblical model for you to follow i know some of you guys may not be there right now and that's okay but my prayer is that you try to get there because those of you who are living by this lifestyle you know how fulfilling this really is and here's the thing this is the goal that god wants us to start at he wants for us to get to the point to where we could eventually increase this number over here over time. And over time, we can look back, and it's a tangible way for us to measure how we're growing in our surrender to Him. Now, here's the thing. Does God need this? No. So why does He ask for it? It's a sign of our surrender to Him. It shows us. It's a tangible way for us to go back and check our bank account, check our checkbook, whatever, And and we can look and see whether or not we are really surrendering him in the area of finances, which is one of the hardest areas to surrender to him. So let me ask you, when you hear this, what type of heart do you have? Because the Bible tells us what type of heart we need to have. It's interesting to me, even though Saul had a heart of stone... And Ananias was a little hes- hesitant to surrender to what God wanted him to do. Look at what happens next in Acts nine seventeen. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. I think this is one of the biggest steps of faith we see in the book of Acts because Ananias had to go to a home of a man who'd been killing his brothers and sisters and talk to him face to face. Ananias surrendered to what Jesus wanted him to do. And then after Ananias preaches to Saul and tells Saul who Jesus is, Ananias says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. In other words, Saul, you now know everything. You know what you need to do. What are you waiting on? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away. You know what happens? Saul does just that. Saul surrenders his life to to Jesus. And some of you guys know the rest of the story. Saul of Tarsus ends up becoming the apostle Paul, who will start dozens of churches, preach to thousands of people, and over the course of the 2000 history of the church, his influence has impacted millions if not billions of people for the sake of Jesus. And it all started because Ananias surrendered and he took grace to Saul. And Saul then surrendered and took grace to the rest of the world. Here's the thing. With this unstoppable initiative, God may not be calling you or me to be the next Apostle Paul. But maybe what he's asking us to do is to be the next Ananias. Who will provide a resource, a platform for us to raise up the next generation. And in the next generation we'll be an Apostle Paul or two. Who will go out and change millions of lives for the sake of Jesus. Jesus. It's interesting to me that the third time that Saul tells his conversion experience, in Acts chapter 26, he's before Governor Festus, a Roman governor, and after he tells about his conversion experience, Festus, this Roman governor, looks at him and says, you have lost your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. And I think Paul probably took that as the greatest compliment. Because what we do doesn't make any sense to those who don't know Jesus. But when you know Jesus, it makes perfect sense. Guys, I want for us as a church to say yes to God in such a way that the world looks at us and says, they're insane, they're crazy. And we are crazy if Jesus is still in the tomb. But if Jesus is alive today like we preach here, then that's the only thing we can do is do crazy stuff for him. So I want to challenge you to surrender Surrender to Jesus and see what he can do with your surrender. As you leave here today, I want you to ask yourself this question. What could God do with my unstoppable surrender? I think he may just use you and this church to make a huge impact on our community and beyond. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and I thank you for this chance. We've had to open up your word and study it. And Father, I just pray that even though what your word tells us to do, to be bold, to go out and share our faith, to have courage, Father, to give everything in our lives over to you, Father, to, to realize that nothing we own belongs to us, and Father, to give the first 10% to you, all that sounds crazy to the world, it sounds insane to the world, but it makes perfect sense to us who know, that, know who you are and know your son, because we know that this world is not all there is. We're living for something that's eternal. Father, may First Church be a yes, Lord Church. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.